um, and as we go through some of these announcements. Um, first, we have a Connect card that's in the pew pocket in front of you. It looks a little bit like this with a big old orange box on the top. Um, we are uh, taking prayer requests on the back of those cards. First, if you're someone new um, here, and we would love to keep a record of your visit if you're willing to fill this out for us. Um, but on the back of this, we also have a, a blank space for you to write down any prayer requests that are going on um, or that you need to lift to the Lord that you need to share with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And those are prayed over on Friday nights diligently uh, by the folks who are here. So we would love to... Uh, have that. If you if you need that, you can pop that into the offering plate that's at the back on the on the booth back there. Um, baptism. If you are interested in being baptized, see the sheet on the welcome center. Um, baptism is an outward sign of our inward acceptance of the Lord. Um, and we know that baptism is, is something that Jesus did, right? He was baptized uh, to show us that example of what that means. And so we would love if you are interested, if you feel the Lord tugging on your heart to get baptized, it's time. Let's do it. Uh, the sign-up sheet is on the foyer in the back as well. Also on the back in that welcome uh, center area, there is a black box and there are some note cards and some pens beside it. Um, we on the pastoral committee are really interested in getting to know what your questions are as the people who attend Bethel Christian Center. Um, and what some questions are that you would have for someone that we would begin to interview um, at some point in time in the future. Uh, so if you have any questions, please make sure to put those in that black box. You can put your name on it. You don't have to. It doesn't matter. Um, and we're going to take those on the pastoral search committee and, and go through those um, and really see what what our church wants to know about our next pastor. With that, um, we, are, as the Pastoral Search Committee, are praying and fasting every Tuesday. We join us. This is not just something that we, as the people who are searching, um, want to do, but we want to include everyone in that. This is going to be our future pastor. And so with that, we want for you to join us in prayer and fasting on Tuesdays. It, uh, it's going to be a very big deal. <laughs> um, and with that, we know that we need to rely on the Holy Spirit and rely on uh, his guidance. And one way we can do that is through prayer and fasting. All right. So uh, we will have this May 3rd, which cannot even believe it's becoming May already, right? Um, but May 3rd on Wednesday night, we will be having a hot dog supper. Um, it is going to be provided by Felicia uh, Westbrook, and we're so excited to have that. Um, it will start at 6.30, so come ready to eat some hot dogs. And then we'll get into our study of Mark, which has been so fabulous. Um, if you are interested in... Uh, how do we read scripture <laughs> um, or kind of learning more about how to read your Bible if this is something that you're really coming into for the first time, Wednesday night is a great opportunity for you to get in there um, and, and learn about how we can study scripture. So come on and join us for hot dogs and then for Mark. Um, it'll be great. Uh, on May 4th, uh, is the National Day of Prayer. So that is this Thursday, and it is at 12 noon at the CCB Plaza in Durham. So if you are interested in uh, joining Christians around Durham and praying for our city, our state, and our nation, come join us at the CCB Plaza at noon on Thursday. 
on May 6th, I told you there's a lot of announcements. <laughs> and if you don't notice, they're all really back-to-back. Um, so May 6th at 9 a.m., we will be uh, praying at Love Life or with Love Life again. We'll meet at the Lowe's, pretty much just the Lowe's parking lot uh, right there on Chapel Hill Boulevard and then walking over together to pray in front of um, where bad things are happening, quite frankly. And so we want to just pray uh, God's blessing over these mothers who are there and find themselves in a predicament. And we want to pray that the Lord would turn it around. Amen. Uh, That will be at 9 a.m. on this Saturday. And then finally, something I'm so excited about is our new beginnings class, which is going to be on May the 13th. Um, It will be from 9 until noon. Our New Beginnings class is a time where you can come and sit with uh, Pastor Larry. Um, My husband will be there as well, and you get to kind of learn about the history of our church, learn about what our church believes, what our doctrine and theology is, um, and get to know the leadership of the church there, and then make a decision on whether or not you would like to become a member or not of Bethel Christian Center. Um, That is going to be May 13th again from 9 until noon. There's a sign-up sheet on the Welcome Center. So with that, we all welcome our pastor. (laughs) Wow, that's a lot. A lot going on. Sister Teresa will send out all of that on email. She already has one time. Please, if we do not have your email... That is the easiest way for us to communicate. We get it out to everyone. Please check your email. Uh, If we don't have an email for you, take one of those Connect cards, like she said, and get that email written down and drop it in uh, at the Welcome Center, and we'll get you added into the database, and that way you can get this information. Uh, One thing I wanted to add to that, we're going to do a, man, Mother's Day is coming up quick. We were talking about the upcoming uh, special services for the year, and uh, I said, yeah, we, we need to start thinking about Mother's Day. We got a little time, and they said, yeah, two weeks, and I was like, two weeks? So Mother's Day is coming up in two weeks. We're going to do another breakfast uh, for the moms. The men are going to come in and serve you ladies. But we'd like to know how many of you are planning on coming. So there is a sign-up sheet out there as well for that. got a lot of sign-up sheets out there. So if you're a lady here and you're planning on joining us Mother's Day, please put your name on the sign-up sheet. We just like to get a general idea of how much uh, food uh, we need to get for that. I want to emphasize the baptism. If you're here this morning and you've never been baptized or maybe... We believe you can be rebaptized. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. It's not a requirement, but sometimes people want to be rebaptized. There's a sign-up sheet for that. And then uh, new beginnings, um, that's going to be very important. Only members will be able to vote when it comes time for this church to vote for a new pastor. And you have to go through the new beginnings class to join. So if you're not a member, I would encourage you to think about uh, May 13th. Uh, and come join me Saturday uh, at Love Life. Uh, most of you know about that ministry. We, we've launched it here. We pray. That's all we do. We pray. We have the equivalent of a church service in eyesight of an abortion clinic. That's all it is. And I won't tell you that it doesn't very much anger some people. It does. We get things uh, hollered at us from car windows. We get those salutes that you get from some people. That, but that's okay. You know what I find interesting is they're so angry But all we do is stand there and pray and sing songs of worship. But they get angry. uh, But that's okay. We're there to show the love of Christ, and it's successful. We've had many. uh, Greg Stevens, who's part of that ministry out there, he will always send me an email when a lady has chosen life, and it happens a lot. And there seems to be a correlation of happening when God's people are praying. Folks, when we pray, it matters. 
When we bombard heaven, it matters. And so if you've never done that, I hope you'll come and be a part of that. So a lot going on. Check your email, if, if you will. Before I get started this morning, I have a special guest that I want to uh, introduce. And I'm going to ask Miss Ollie Jeffers, if she would, to come up and just tell us a little bit about who she is. She, she asked me, she said, do you all have service on the fifth Sunday? I said, absolutely. We have service every Sunday. So I met Ollie when I was working for the police department, and everybody knows Ollie Jeffers. And there are certain people that the moment you meet them, you know, that person is, a, is, is, a, is, is the Lord's daughter. It just flows out of her. And everybody who knows her loves her. And, um, and so I just wanted her to come and, and greet you and tell you a little bit about uh, what she does for, for us. Thank you. Good morning again. Thank you all so much for your warm, godly welcome. I'm telling you, I felt it when I came in. Everybody was so warm and heartfelt, and I appreciate that. That matters how you, when someone comes into your house and you greet them. So thank you for that warm. And that means I'll come back again and again and again. So thank you for that. I give honor to God for being here today because he's truly behind the wind beneath me. Because I started, uh, I, 25 years ago, I joined Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Uh, I'm your Durham representative. If you live in Durham County, Pershing County, or Orange uh, Caswell County, I'm your representative. And if you don't know me, then that's a good thing. That means that you've not been victimized by an impaired driver. If you have been a victim of it, then you would know me. You know the work that I do. And what, basically what I do is I offer victim services to all the victims that have been victimized. And when you, when you lose your loved one, and you have to sit through the trial or sit through the, the fear and all that stuff, we're there with you to make sure that you understand everything that's going on because you, don't, you won't be. You will not be in your right mind. You will not be able to understand everything that's going through. And then we also go with the victims who are the judicial systems. We go to court with them. Make sure they understand everything that's happening. And I can tell you, in the last 25 years, <clears throat> there's been many, many, many people that have lost loved ones because of impaired driving. And the reason we work so hard to try to prevent this is because drunk driving, impaired driving is 100% preventable. If you're going to drink, then don't drive. And we try to get that message out there. We, we, everywhere, we try to get, out, get it out there. But then there are still people who think, I've done it before and I can do it again. And they continue to do it over and over. But they also continue to kill people. Here in Durham County, <clears throat> there's many that are in, in jail now that are waiting to be tried on second degree murder for driving impaired and killing someone. I'm, I'm concerned about that, very concerned, very concerned. These are lives of uh, loved ones, of individuals who did nothing wrong. They'd be going about their daily task, going to wherever they want to go, but they are victimized by individuals who are drinking and driving. And then they get to court, and these, these uh, offenders don't even look at them, don't, don't even apologize for taking their loved ones. I'm concerned about that. So for the last 25 years, you know, and a lot of people say to me, you must make a lot of money because you work so hard. And I say, oh, no, there's no money. I, I volunteer to do this. But they don't understand it. How can you volunteer so, and work so hard? That's how I know it's a God-given task. I know he chose me for this. I know because I was working at Durham Tech, and I was recruited by a Durham police officer. 
to be in, in this role. Never thought about being in, uh, a victim advocate. Never thought about chairing a chair for anything. Hayes just said, we need you. We need someone like you to help us here in Durham. Well, not living in Durham, I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to work in Durham, then I should also work in my home, my home county, which was Person County. But then our counties was also, uh, our district was divided up between Person and Caswell, so you couldn't do one without the other. So I decided, so I'm Durham, Person, and Caswell County. I stay very busy. I do. Very busy. I stay uh, busy with victims, you know, but I, I, I make myself available whenever they need someone to talk to. If, if there are those nights that they can't sleep, there are those mornings they can't, there are those days they just need somebody to talk to, I'm available to talk with them and, and help them along their way. So that's what I do. And we also get the opportunity to work with our students in driver's ed. We go to, we're in our schools to talk with our students because most of the students in driver's ed are really afraid to get on the highway because they see so many things that are happening. So we're there to help them to understand and, and be, uh, be good drivers when, they're, when they get their license. And, and we also, um, our mission is to uh, stop drunk driving and, to, uh, and drug it driving. We have to add that to it now because a lot of people own drugs as, as they drive. And to support the victims of this violent crime and to prevent underage drinking. So that says a lot. That's a lot of what we have to do. That's a lot. But we, I'm up for the task. I've, this is my 25th year. And I thank God for the opportunity to do it. it there's nothing I could think of that would better, better suited for me than to be out here to, to spread the word, to make sure people, uh, I, that I can save a life, saving lives. So thank you so much. I know, I hope I didn't go over my time. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm gonna be around after. If anybody wanna talk to me about uh, what, some of the programs we have, what we're doing, would love to come back. Uh, I'm, I'm coming back and share, uh, share information that we have, but I, I, I'll be around. And thank you for the invite. I appreciate you all, you and your wife, for inviting me. I love you guys. I've been many years. I remember when you retired, I was thinking, oh gosh, I hate he's retired. <laughs> thank you, Ms. Oliver. I thank, thank you. you. But I thank you for the invitation. If I was facing a crisis where I'd lost a loved one in that, I'd want Ollie Jeffers sitting beside me talking to me. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Ollie. Well, this morning we are going to jump back into the, the series we've been working on for the last several weeks titled In the Beginning and looking at the book of Genesis. The whole premise of this series, if you remember, was based off the fact that we, we live in a culture today that is infatuated with our natural heritage. Things like uh, Ancestry.com is just exploding. People want to know, where did, I, where did I come from? What's my heritage like? Who are my ancestors? And, and uh, in the introductory message to this sometime back, I share with you some of the benefits from that, the health benefits, the social benefits. There's benefit in knowing our, our natural heritage. And I said, how much more benefit in knowing our spiritual heritage? And so many people don't know anything about how we got here. How did we get here in our faith? And that's been the premise of the whole series. And last, uh, two, two weeks ago, we started with the Abraham. We started with Abraham. And if there's any one person who is most credited as being the spiritual father of our faith, it's Abraham. 
He's often referred to as Father Abraham. Jesus himself, when he was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, said, your father Abraham longed to see my day and has seen it. And so when we look at our spiritual heritage, when we trace it back, I know we looked at Adam and Eve and saw that even science itself says that every man and every woman came from one man and one woman. So they're all one human race. Throughout this, what I have found, and church, I've been studying this as I've gone along. I didn't go back six months ago and lay out this series. I'm, I'm studying this as I go. And what I have found from this is I'm, in the beginning, it starts to tell me about some of the characteristics of, of our God. In the creation, we saw he was a God of order and a God of power and a God of goodness and a God of relationship. Saw all that in the creation. And then even in the fall, he was a God of goodness and a God of forgiveness. And then in the story of Noah, we saw he was a God of wrath and justice. So it's brought us up to all these things. But it's in Abraham that God decided to place his name. It's through Abraham that God decided to bring a people through which the Messiah would come. And so I'm going to, I'm going to finish with Abraham for the most part this morning. I, I always email out the scriptures that I'm going to cover. And I hope that you're getting those emails and I hope you have an opportunity to read. I think it'll help you. As I said last week, talking about the conversation Sister Carol and I had when she called me last week, you get, may get something very different. And I give to you what God has given to me for Sunday morning, but my desire is you grow that God gives you what you need at that time. And he will do that through his word. But I'll be covering Abraham, and it's going to cover Genesis 12 through 20. I'm going to cover Genesis. So I'm going to cover a broad swath of Scripture and look at the life of this man. And I decided to title this message, Faith, Failure, and the God of Covenant. Faith, Failure, and the God of Covenant. And, you know, when, I, when that message, when that title came to me, right after I wrote it down, I thought, you know, that might be describe Abraham. But that also describes me. I could be, it could be said that I am a person, a man of faith, a person of failure. But thank God I serve a God of covenant. A God of covenant. It's taken me some time to understand that my faith is not based off of my feelings. Having grown up in the Church of God, the Pentecostal church, where there's a lot, at times there's a lot of emotion associated with our worship and with our relationship with God, which I love, by the way. I do. I love that. I love when the Spirit of God is moving and we sense His presence. But I got to tell you, if your faith is going to be based on your feelings, you, your faith is going to go like this right here. Your faith is not based on your feeling. Your faith is based on who you are in Christ. And I, I, had, I had to work with that. I will, I will uh, share with you something about me. I have a hard time sometimes resting in my salvation. Because sometimes I see the struggle and I think, God, how could you, how, how could you love me? Because his word said he does. And so I, there's many times I get ready, even on a Sunday morning, I'm in the shower and I say, God, I'm not feeling very spiritual today. Have you ever felt that way? Am I the only one? I mean, I'm like, God, I don't even, you're a million miles away from me. No, he's not. I might feel like he's a million miles away from me, but he's right next to me. Sometimes he's right next to me even more then than he is when I feel him the most. So I want you to know that our faith isn't based on feeling. 
Failure. There's sometimes I'm doing great. There's sometimes, I mean, I am in the Word. I feel like I'm close to the Lord. I feel like I'm knocking on heaven's door. Then there's other times I'm just like, man, am I even saved today? And the, and the sins that so do easily beset are battling with you and struggling with you. And I'm thinking, God, what's going on? He's still with me. Even sometimes in our sins and our failures. Why? He's a God of covenant. He is a God of covenant which we'll see as we go through. If you want to look at the introduction, it says many things have happened since the call of Abraham to his failure in chapter 20. The sin committed was a repeat of the sin in Genesis 12. We will see from this that even though we may sin and fail in our lives, God is a God of covenant, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. When we're not faithful, he is. And when we sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that as, we've, as I've studied your word, God, I just see your nature, that you're a good God, a God of power and order, and that, Lord, you want a relationship with me. God, and it's not about me. It's about you and who you are and who you've called me. And it's about who you are and who you've called every person out in this audience, a son and daughter of the Most High God. And that's a lot is because of the covenants that you've made with us as we go through. And I thank you, and I ask God, if there's one out here, God, that doesn't know that, doesn't rest in that, that today you will take your holy word and draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. First, I want to look at the faith of Abraham. The faith of Abraham. Now, we saw that faith first a couple weeks ago in Genesis 12, and we dealt extensively with the call of Abraham. Here he was. He was a man likely worshiping foreign gods. His family worshiped foreign gods. And God said to him, revealed to him somehow, the Bible doesn't tell us, and said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your country, and I want you to go to a land that I'll show you. Now, I share with you, that would be like God saying to me or to you, I want you to sell everything you have. I want you to get it, take the proceeds. I want you to get in your car and I want you to start driving. Well, God, where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. Just start driving. That takes a lot of faith. But in essence, that's what Abram did. And he, he responded when God called. But there was a three I will statements in that. He just didn't send him off. He made a couple promises to him. Three, as a matter of fact. He said, I will make you a great nation. That's a land promise. He made a land promise to Abram. He said, I will make your name great. That was an heir's promise. You'll have a lot of heirs. And he said, he made him a blessing promise. I will, be a, I will make you a blessing. I will bless you, and I'll bless those that bless you. So that's what he told him when he sent him out. And he responded to that. The Bible says he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The Bible says many times in the call that where he got, when he got where he was going, that he would build altars and call on the name of the Lord. So he had a real intimate personal relationship with God. He prayed for his nephew Lot. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of intercessory prayer. Last week I dealt extensively with Lot. Almost skipped Lot. But I couldn't get Lot out of my spirit, and so I preached on Lot last week. And some of you are glad I did and talked about some of the choices and the consequences that Lot made. But in that, we saw that Lot went to Sodom, a wicked city. And God revealed to his uncle Abraham, I'm going to destroy that city. And Abraham went to pray, and he said, my nephew's there. And he said, God, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? 
What if there's 50 righteous people over there? He said, I won't destroy it if there's 50. And it come down from there all the way down to 10. And God destroyed the city. But Lot was saved. I think Lot was saved because the Bible said Lot was righteous. But I think he was also saved because God honored the prayers of his uncle. And I said to you, maybe you've got loved ones out there who are lost and out in the world. You keep praying. We sang this morning, you don't know what God's doing. He's up to something. And he's not always on our time frame. And your loved one is not outside the reach of God. For all Abraham knew when he could see the hell and the, and the brimstone raining down, he didn't know where Lot was. He didn't know two angels were leading Lot out of the city. But God had heard his prayers. He was a man of prayer. He was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. This is another one of those stories that probably most of the world knows just from Sunday school or you could go out and someone who's not even saved maybe doesn't believe the Bible. Most people have heard the story of, I, of the sacrifice of Isaac. That God was willing to take his son and sacrifice him. Probably the finest hour of faith. I mean, it's just great faith. And because of all that, the Bible says he is called a friend of God. James 2.23 says this, And the scriptures was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him righteousness and he was called the friend of God. I told you a few weeks ago that all the promises made to Abraham, all the promises of the Bible are now yes and amen for us in Christ. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And if you're here today and you've put your trust in Christ, you too are a friend of God, as Abraham was. Abraham had great faith. But also, like every other person in the Bible, with the exception of the Lord, there was failures, there was sins in Abraham's life. The first one shows up in Genesis 12, right after the call, right after the call of Abraham. He shows this great faith. He goes to the promised land. Then there's a famine in the land. So Abram leaves the promised land and he goes over into Egypt to try to get away from the famine. The first thing I wonder was, was that a lack of faith? I mean, did you not think, Abram, that God could sustain you in the midst of the, of the famine? But nevertheless, he went to Egypt. Well, when he gets over into Egypt, the Pharaoh is there. Well, Sarai, Abram's wife, she must have been a good-looking woman. The Bible says she was. So... Abram looks at his wife and says, look, you're a beautiful woman. When we get over here, tell them, tell the Pharaoh, tell them that you're my sister so they won't kill me to get you. What in the world? Here's this man that has such faith in God in one hand, and on the next hand, he's fearing man, fearing what they're going to do. But she does it. And some might say, well, it, was a, it wasn't a, it was a half-truth. How many of you know that a half-truth is a whole lie? Okay. And it was a half-truth. Abram and Sarai shared the same dad, but different moms. So he goes over, and the Pharaoh does just what he takes, thinks. He takes Sarai in, and all of a sudden, plagues break out all over, all over Egypt. And, he, and Pharaoh finds out that this woman is actually Abram's wife. And he goes to him and says, what you say that, that, you, that was your sister for? Why have you done this? Here, here's some cattle. I mean, he blesses him. Here's some cattle. Here's some stuff. Now get on and go back to the land you came from. And that's what he does. Abraham got ahead of God with Hagar. God had promised him a great nation. God had promised him heirs. But his wife came to him. Wife was barren. That was going to be a bit of a problem. He was old and Sarah couldn't have babies. So it was a problem. 
I mean, know that our problems are not God's problems. Our problems are not God's problems. He can do the impossible. But she goes and she says, look, Abram, I'm barren. We need an heir. Go consider my handmaiden, Hagar. Go lie with her and she can give you an heir. And what does he do? He he did the same thing Adam did. Rather than saying, no, we're not doing that. God has made a promise to us. We're going to keep, we're going to wait on God. We're going to wait on his promises. He goes and does it. Same thing Adam did when Eve came and said, eat the apple. He should have said, no, no, God's told us not to do that. We're not going to do it. But they do it, and it makes a big old mess. When you get outside the plan of God, when you get outside and quit waiting on him, we have a tendency to make big old messes. And it made a big old mess. What he did with his wife, Sarah, he went along to get along. Folks, don't go along to get along. If someone has come to you and wants you to do something outside of the word of God, outside of, well, you know, the way God's directing you, you need to be prepared to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Because when you go along to get along and you get outside the will and the word of God, it creates problems for us. It creates problems for us, particularly in the area of relationships. And that's what this was. I know there's many young ladies out here, maybe young men, looking for a mate. Looking for a mate. Don't get ahead of God on that. Don't get ahead of God. You know the Bible says, tells us not to be unequally yoked. You get out into a relationship and you know, in the, many times what's, what's concerning is sometimes this happens and people will say, you know, I knew there were red flags. Well, good gracious, if there's red flags, pay attention to them. Maybe that's, if you're of the Lord, maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, no, no, no. But sometimes we do anyway, anyway, anyway. Someone very dear to me did that and it was a big old mess. But he was man enough to say, I missed God. I didn't wait on him. And that's what happened here. He got ahead of God. And then he lied to Abimelech in Genesis 20. He did the exact same thing in Genesis 20 that he did in Genesis 12. This time he's in this town called Gerar. Abimelech is the king. And he's going into that town, into that country. And he looks at Sarah and he says the same thing. They're going to kill me because of you. Tell them that you're my sister. And they do it again. He goes into the, to the country. Well, this time, Abimelech is asleep, apparently, and God comes to him in a dream and says, you're a dead man walking. And he's because of that woman. You're a dead man walking. Abimelech wakes up and says, whoa, God, I did not know. They didn't tell me this. Why, why am I in trouble? And when he wakes up, he says, go get Abraham and bring him over here to me. So he brings Abraham to him. says something interesting to Abraham. He says, Abraham, you have done things that ought not be done. You've done things to me that ought not be done. And it's, it's sad. Now here stands Abraham, the man of God. God's revealed himself to him. He's built altars. He's worshipped the Lord. He's trusted God. And he has to stand and be chastised by a pagan king to say, you've done things that ought not be done. I don't want to see a time, and it's happened in the church, where the church gets chastised by the world for doing things we ought not have done. I think about the Catholic church and the priest scandal and a world standing out there saying, y'all doing things that ought not be done. I mean, before we say, oh, well, that's them Catholics. We just, the, the same thing just happened in the Baptist church, a huge sexual scandal where pastors were taking advantage of women every. I got to admit, they came in and they they identified them and they laid out every single pastor who had done it and had been in trouble for it. It it was shocking. I looked at the report. Doing things that ought not be done. 
And we're not immune for it. We've seen, we've seen men fall, men that God had called, doing things that ought not be done. And Abram, you know what he did? Because the Bible said he would be a blessing. Abram lost his witness in front of that king. How's he going to stand there and say anything about God while this man's chastising him? So Abram had lost his witness there to him. But what does Abimelech do? Here, here's something interesting. First of all, in all that, God looks at Abimelech and says, well, go get Abram to pray for you. He's a prophet. What? I mean, this man, I did, you, this man put me in this position. Now you're going to ask me to pray for him? What in the world? But he does. And then Abimelech gives him gold, silver, and more cattle and sends him on the way. Why? Why? Why would this happen? Why was God so faithful to Abraham? Because of covenant. Because of covenant. And a covenant is an agreement between two parties. It's an agreement between two parties. Now, that word doesn't mean a whole lot to us because in our Western world today, we make agreements and break them all the time. They mean nothing to us. Well, I will. Uh, yeah, good luck. Uh, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll do it. Good luck. Some of you know that Tammy and I are real estate agents. When I got my real estate license, the offer to purchasing contract was four pages. It's 15 now. Roy Lauder, a man that I worked under for a while, a preacher, he said when he got his many, many years ago, it was half a page. Why? People don't do what they say they're going to do anymore. Oh, they'll agree to it all day long, but when it comes time to it, if they don't like it, they'll break it. Not in the Bible. Not in, not in God's economy. It doesn't work that way. There's five main com, uh, covenants in the Bible. Some say there's more, but there are five primary covenants in the Bible. The first is the Noahic covenant. Covered that when we looked at Noah. God protected Noah. He said, Noah, if you obey me, you build this boat, you do what I ask you to do, I will save you and your family when I, when I flood the earth. And then he extended that covenant to all living creatures. said, look, I will never destroy the earth again by water. And that was a covenant. That's the first time the word covenant was used in the scripture. And he gave us a beautiful sign of that covenant, didn't he? And we can still see it today in the sky after a rainstorm, the Noahic covenant. Then there's the Abrahamic covenant, which I'm going to cover extensively here in just a moment. That was a first blood covenant. That was a covenant. That was an agreement that was sealed in blood. The Noahic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant are unconditional covenants. There's the Mosaic covenant. That's where Moses went up on Mount Sinai and received the law of God. How he's leading God's people. He comes down. He has the law. And we see the law of blessing and cursing. Where if God says, if you keep my law, you keep my ways, I will bless you. If you don't, I will curse you. We see a con we, what we see there is a conditional covenant. But it's also a blood covenant. Because how is that sealed in? It's sealed with the blood of animals and goats and bulls. The Mosaic covenant. There's the Davidic covenant. God says, I will set someone on David's throne who will reign eternally. Christ is known as the son of David. He's going to sit on David's throne again one day. That covenant has yet to be fully fulfilled, but it will be. And lastly, there's the new covenant, which I'll deal with as well. Five covenants. This covenant was Abraham was first made and mentioned in Genesis 12, where he gave him those I will statements, the land, the heirs, and the blessing. But it's broad. Abraham couldn't have understood that. He'd been like, okay, Lord, what does that mean? How are you going to do that? Well, he starts to specify it in Genesis 13. He says this, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. 
so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. So he starts to tell him, you're going to have heirs. You're going to have heirs. You're actually going to have descendants. But Abram, like me, okay, God, I'm old. My wife can't have children. Let's, come on, how are we going to do this? He really specifies it. And Abram begins to ask some questions that I would ask. And that's found in Genesis 15, 2 through 5. But Abram said, Lord, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So, so not seeing how God can do this, really not fully trusting God, he says, look, I have no children. My wife is barren. Okay, I know how you're going to do this, God. Eleazar, who's my servant, he will become the heir. In those times, if, if you had no son to carry on the name, a male servant could carry on the name. He says, okay, you're going you're gonna to do it through Eleazar. No. No, that's not how God was going to do it. Because he says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body. He shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside, and he said, Look now toward the heaven, and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So he said, No, Abraham, it's not going to be Eleazar. It's going to come from your own body. There will be descendants as the dust of the earth and as the stars of the sky. That was the heir promise. He specified it. Then he specified the land promise in 1518. He said, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So he specifies it. He says, heirs and land, heirs and land. He specifies that covenant. But a covenant always had to be ratified. It had to be ratified. Ratified means to make it official. He had to make that covenant official. And that's done in Genesis 15, 9 through 10. If you want to read it, you read all 9 through 17, you'll see it all as God begins to ratify that covenant. So he tells to Abram, he said, he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. So he looks at Abram and he says, go get me some animals and cut them in two and, and put the halves on each side of each other. Now that sounds weird to us. It kind of sounds weird to me. But that would not have been uncommon in the days of Abram. It wasn't uncommon back then for them to make covenants that way. What would happen, they would cut the pieces and the two people who were agreeing to covenant would hold hands. Many times there was a greater and a lesser. There might have been a king. There might have been a king saying to his people, if you serve me and worship me, then I'll take care of you. And, they would, and, and then one, someone of the people would walk through with the king agreeing to that covenant. But they would hold hands and they would walk between the pieces. And what they were saying, and this is found in Jeremiah, if we don't keep our covenant, may the same thing happen to us that happened to those animals. Now, if we did this today, that'd be some promise-keeping people today. But that, that, and that's what they were saying. If we don't keep our promise, then let, this is what's going to happen to us. But, but something was different about this one. Something was different about this. Because when the animals were cut in two, God put Abram in a deep sleep. And then the Bible says a smoking pot and a torch. Those were symbols of God's presence. While Abram's asleep... 
those things begin to pass between the pieces. And as Jack Hayford said, in some ways what it was, it was God humbling himself. It was God coming down and saying to Abram, we're going to make an agreement, Abram, but you ain't got nothing to do with it. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do it, Abram. You have nothing to do with this. And God himself passed between those pieces, and he ratified that covenant. And when God says, I'm going to do something, church, he's going to do it. And it would be the foreshadowing of something that would come of several thousand years later that happened about 2,000 years ago when God himself would come down again and make a covenant and ratify a covenant, as we'll see. God himself walked between those pieces. Because what God was doing, he was swearing by himself. There's no one that could, speak, could swear by, you could swear by more than to God himself to swear by himself. In Hebrews 6, 13 through 16, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. So God said, Abram, I'm doing this. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. And there ain't nothing you can do that's going to change it. It was an unconditional covenant. But he gave him a sign. He gave him a sign to remember it. The first sign is he changed his name. This is where he changed Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham. It's found in Genesis 17 and 5. He says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, which meant exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. So he changed his name to reflect who he was. Church, the Bible says when we come to God, we're a new creation. The world may call you all kinds of things. They may call you a failure. They may call, have called you a drunk. They may call you an adulteress. They may, but when God comes in to you, he gives you a new name. Remember who you are now in Christ, not who you were before Christ. And that's what God was saying to Abraham. I know that you're barren. I know that your wife is barren. I know you don't have any children. But you don't worry about that because I'm going to change all that. And he gave him another sign, and that would be the sign of circumcision. It's found in Genesis 17 and 10. He said, this is my covenant, which I shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. So why did God really protect Sarai and Abram and all that, and particularly in Genesis 20? What was he really doing? He was protecting the seed of that woman. I told you there's two foundational scriptures as far as I'm concerned in the Bible. Most of you know Genesis, I mean, uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. To me, that was the, that was the fulfillment of another foundational scripture in Genesis 3.15 where the sin had occurred, the fall had happened, but yet God looked at the serpent and said, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to put hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he will... You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And that promise was made. And when that seed promise was given, from that point on to the coming of Jesus, it was all about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. And, and Satan has done everything he could to stop it. And it did not happen, and it won't happen. And he's coming again. Satan may try to be 
messing around in the earth. All kinds of things are going on, but Christ is coming again. Christ is coming again. He was protecting the seed of that woman. And every time then after that, when a Jewish male would lie with his wife, the seed would pass right through the sign of that covenant to carry on the seed that would bring the Messiah. And once Jesus came, it was accomplished. It was accomplished. That's why we no longer have to have the sign of the physical circumcision. You say, that sounds good. That's great, Larry. But what does that mean to me today? What that means to us today, why does it still matter that we serve a covenant God? Because we live in the new covenant. We live in the new covenant. The prophet Jeremiah told us about that new covenant that was coming. In Genesis, I mean, sorry, in Jeremiah 31 and 31, he said this. He predicted that covenant. He said, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So, he predicted the covenant. And in Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, he specified the covenant. He said, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and, I will, and their sin I will remember no more. He was saying that the days are coming when I'm going to take the law off the tablets, I'm going to take it out of the books, and I'm going to put it right here. I'm going to move that old stony heart, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And you're not going to have to tell everybody about who the Lord is through the law. Everyone's going to know me. The Jews will know me. The Gentiles will know me. And salvation is going to be for all people. Those days are coming. That's what Jeremiah said. It's coming. They couldn't see. They didn't know how. Any more than Abraham could have. But he said it's coming. So it was predicted. It was specified. But then it had to be ratified. How was it ratified? Luke 22 and 20. Jesus is having the Last Supper with his disciples. And it says, Likewise, he also took the cup after saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Under the Abrahamic covenant, those things were cut in half. The Son of God come down. He was cut down. This time, God come to the earth again. He humbled himself, but he didn't come in a smoking pot and a torch. He came in the, in, in the form of a person, just like me and you. He humbled himself, and he came down, and he went to a cross, and he shed his blood there. And he said, now, if you'll repent, if you'll come unto me, there's a new covenant for you. And he ratified it in his blood. What's the sign of it? What is the sign of this covenant? It's circumcision. Whoa, Larry, hold on now. If I, if I haven't, if I haven't uh, taken part of that because I didn't think that was for us today, am I in trouble? No, you're not in trouble. It's circumcision, but it's a different type of circumcision. Paul tried into the church at Rome, said in Romans 2, 28 through 29, said, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Now my heart has been circumcised 
Not by a knife, but by the Holy Spirit. When I put my trust in him and the Holy Spirit comes in, dwells in me, he starts to cut away all that stuff out of my heart that don't need to be there. So now the circumcision is inward, not outward. But the sign is still there. And the results are still there. We look for, how do we know if people are saved? I don't know. That's a supernatural move of God. But I begin to see the results in how they treat people, how they love, how they relate to each other, how they, how they, how they love the Lord and how it shows. It was a new covenant. I'm going to ask uh, the team, I think Matt, I want to come up. What Jesus had done when he ratified that, he reversed that curse in Genesis 3.15. It's been reversed. We don't fully experience now on, on earth, but we will. We will. Because we still have faith. There's still going to be failure, but he's still a God of covenant. But how do, so how do, we, how do we respond in light of this new covenant? How do we respond? First, we repent of our sin. This, too, is a conditional covenant. Christ did everything you need and that I need. When he said it is finished on that cross, all that you need for salvation was done. It was done in his blood. But now we must respond. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is in hand. You have to come and repent. That seems like that's not a word we hear a lot these days, but you must repent. That's what activates the covenant. That's what activates our part. When we feel God begin to pull at our heart and we come and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It don't have to be some fancy prayer. It's when you sense the tug of the Holy Spirit in your heart and you surrender to it. Repent means to turn and go a different way. That's all it means. It means to recognize that, you're, that you need God, that you're lost without Him. And to surrender yourself to Him and ask Him to forgive you of His sin, and He will. He said, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. You come to him today with a broken heart. He said, a broken and a contrite spirit I will not despise. If you're here today and you've never put your trust in Christ, you've never repented of your sin, if you feel the pull and the gentle tug of that Holy Spirit, I hope you'll respond. So repent. But then we have to relent. You have to let go. You got to let go. You got to let go of your past. You got to let go of what everybody else tells you should and shouldn't be doing. There's a world out there that'll tell you a lot of things way late, a lot of things ought to be contrary to this. It sounds good, but it's not. You got to relent to God's ways. And then lastly, receive God's forgiveness. I think the hardest thing for us to do, and I, I shared with you when I started this, is sometimes I have trouble resting in my salvation. If you've put your trust in Christ, if you've repented of your sin, rest in your salvation. Rest in it. Because if the devil can stay in your ear, if he can make you convinced you're not saved, you've been too bad, you did this, you did that, he'll keep you ineffective. Rest where you are. Rest where you are. That's what he wants for you. It's peace. It's inner peace. It's that shalom that only comes from him. In a world that seems to be going crazy, I have shalom. I mean, I look out there and I see the stuff that's going on with banking crises and AIs and all the political nonsense that's going on. It concerns me a little bit, but then I slip off to my prayer closet. I hope you have one, and I get along with God's Word, and I pray, and I'm like, he's got it under control. 
I don't know what's going to happen, but he's got it under control. You need that type of peace. Your family needs that type of peace in its home. And you can only get it there. And people are looking for it in all other places. They look for it in a bottle. They look for it in a relationship. They look for it on a trip. They look for it on this and that. It's not going to be found there. It's only going to be found in the presence of a holy God who loves you, who made a covenant for you. If everyone please stand for a moment. If everyone would just uh, close your eyes and bow your head for a moment. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior, you've never repented of your sin, something's stirring in your spirit. I always say that, church, because that's, that's the work of God. That's the Holy Spirit's business. I've experienced that. There's been times I've been sitting in my pew. Look, I've experienced it since I've been saved, and God's pulling at me. He's saying, Larry, I, I need you to come. Let's, let's have a little talk. If that's you this morning, the altar's open. You're free to come down. Someone will come and gather with you and pray. The altar's open. Okay, so what I want to do this morning, we, we, uh, we end our service around the altar. And I'm going to ask everyone who will, if you're visiting with us, all we do, just like, and look, thank you for coming and responding at worship. So apparently I'm going to have to get Madison to ask y'all to do it more. And then Christy to tell you how, because y'all came when she came. You didn't come when I come. But it was a blessing to see everybody around worship. So if you want, let's gather around the altar. That's how we finish. If you, if you don't want to come, you don't have to. But the altar is open. I want everyone who will, let's come down and let's spend a little time. The team is going to uh, sing. And so let's, let's enter in again into a moment of worship. Uh, before, we, before we pray over individual needs. The way we'll end, we'll pray over individual needs. We still believe in the prayer of agreement and praying over the needs of our people. So many times the altar has become a thing of the past. It won't become a thing of the past here. So they're going to they're gonna play and we're going to sing and just, just enter, close your eyes. Don't worry about what's going on when you leave here. Don't worry about what's going on next to you. Just spend a little bit of time in the presence of God and worship.